0: Okay, everybody, here we go. Welcome to episode number 74 of Sports Cards Live. Today is January the 9th, 2021. My name is Jeremy Lee, and my guest tonight is Dr. James Beckett. We will bring him out in a couple of minutes. First, I do want to thank last Saturday's guest, Josh Johnson from Card Ladder and Cardboard Chronicles, as well as my After Hours guest last Saturday, Chris McGill, also of Card Ladder and House of Jordans. Great conversations Go check those out in the archives on the channel. I also want to let you all know next Saturday, my guest will be Carvin Chung, formerly of Upper Deck, Panini, currently GTS, inventor of the cup and Exquisite. We're going to have a nice conversation. Looking forward to that. And two weeks from now, my guest will be Brad Hartland from PSA Canada. That should be interesting as well for everybody. I want to let you all know that Basketball Card Fanatic magazine on the ticker right now is offering card uh, is offering sports cards live viewers uh, their next 12 issues for $80 US. Go to paypal.me slash basketball card and mention SCL in the notes. And uh, there will be a little kickback this way. And I also want to mention that uh, I have an affiliate or well, the channel has an affiliate code for Card Ladder meaning that if you sign up for Card Ladder using the code, there will be a few dollars thrown this way as well. And I'm going to be taking any of these uh, affiliate monies uh, from Card Ladder and using them to uh, buy meals for homeless people. And um, this was inspired by viewer Native Card Guy who challenged us a couple of weeks ago to do so. And so that's what I'm planning to do with that. I also want to let everybody know to follow the Big Three Hockey on Instagram. These guys feature some of the finest singles in the hobby. Check them out. Give them a follow. Great guys, and they are supporters of the channel. Closing out on 1,900 subscribers. Thank you, everybody, for doing that. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, like, thumbs up, hit the bell, all that stuff. Greatly appreciate it. And tonight, after this show is over at 9.30 Mountain, 11.30 Eastern, 8.30 Pacific, joining me for After Hours will be Jay Yokish, a high-end mega patch collector. We're going to have a lot of fun just talking hobby. So come back and check that out. And I've had a lot of people ask me recently what that stuff is I use to clean up my slabs. It is this right here, Meguiar's Scratch X 2.0. Put a little dab on your, your scratched up uh, grading slab and it will really clean up some scuffs quite nicely. I just used it the other day to clean up a card and it worked really well. So check that out. Give us your comments and questions, guys. We're going to, uh, we're going to bring out Dr. Beckett, right now. Here he comes. Jim, how are you? Welcome back to Sports Cards Live. What's happening?
1: I'm great, Jeremy. Good to see you again. Uh, it was two weeks ago. This is part two. Looking it forward
0: was, to. man. It was two weeks ago. Here we go. We're going we're gonna to get into it. You Brand, know, we new
1: kinda, year. Brand new year.
0: If we're in the new year now, that's right. And we kind of set it up last time where we'd, we'd review 2020. Last year, look forward to 2021. I want to do that, but I did solicit a lot of the uh, the the audience for questions. I have a handful, so I want to get to those. But uh, but I guess first, you know, I do want to ask you, like, 2021 beyond. What are your plans? What are you? What how are you planning to approach the hobby in 2021?
1: Come on, Jeremy, I'm retired. <laughs> well,
0: this is the first of a multi part question for you. So, well,
1: I mean, I, I it'd be more of the same. I mean, I was having a good time in 2020 until COVID popped in, and and uh, that. It's a little bit of a setback, but I, I, uh, I apparently had COVID early, a very mild case. I didn't even know because I've got the antibodies. So, so I don't want to be too cavalier about it. But it's you know I, I the best thing I can do is have less stress in my life and take good care of myself and 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 not be foolish. But that means going to some shows. So I'm I'm willing to go to some shows, and I'm going to show in a few weeks and. Look forward to going to Toronto if it happens in May and the National in late July. So so uh, I hope it's business as usual in a positive way for everybody.
0: So let me ask you this, because this is a question from uh, someone in the audience, uh, Corey. He actually said, so with the way the hobbies exploded lately, you're an entrepreneur by nature. You mentioned it quite a bit. You think like an entrepreneur, Jim. Is there any inkling for you to? I, know, I, I think I know the answer, but let's let you answer it. Is there any inkling for you to start something new, a new product or service within the hobby? Uh, I love beside, starting, no, I Besides I you, beside your podcast,
1: no, I love starting things, but I'm not. I, like I said, I'm not looking to have uh, employees or be an employee. Uh, I'm I'm more of an entrepreneurial consultant, Jeremy. I, I already do a lot of that, and I really enjoy that. And I don't think I want to start something that I'm running. Uh, if if uh, people called me in as a consultant for things, I'm I I love doing that, and that can be very short term. I I, uh, I I'm not looking to work 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, hundred hours a week like I used to. Uh, I I think I had trouble setting boundaries, I think when I had the company. And so selling the company gave me kind of a new lease on life, kind of a, some margin that I, that I want to give back. So the podcast is, is very manageable, even though it's daily, it's 15 minutes going to a card show every so often. My wife thinks that's terrific, but I'm not going to start a company. Uh, if somebody, like I said, if somebody wants to bring me in as a consultant, if it's very short term, uh, very specialized, I, I love doing that. Yeah. I'm already doing that actually. I mean, I get calls, so I'm happy to help, uh, up to a certain point.
0: And I, I, I can vouch for that. You've, you've helped, you've given me advice off camera and uh, I've greatly appreciated it. So, uh, you know, your, your wisdom, your experience is, is, is excellent. Um, I'm just gonna throw up on the ticker, everybody. if you wanna if you're not familiar with uh, with Dr. Beckett's podcast, you can find it on the podcast platform sports card insights. Uh, look it up and give him a he as he says he like it's they're fifteen minutes long, long enough for a commute. you can listen to it in the morning over your coffee sort of thing. So give him a listen. I listen to them. and uh, so you know that's that kind of brings me to one of your episodes that you had, I think it was late last year. and one of the one of the things in it, it was a concept that you were dis- that you were discussing deferred gratification. Do you remember that discussion you had?
1: Yeah, absolutely, that was my Christmas Eve episode. I mean, it was, it was prepared before Christmas Eve. I wasn't up uh, uh, taking time away from uh, my family, but uh, no, I think that's that's part of the Christmas Eve kind of aspect of growing up. And I thought, well, what's that got to do with uh, with card collecting? I, I think the card collectors that are not able to defer gratification uh, are, are are actually doing better in this outrageous bull market. But if it ever turns, uh, they'll be the ones holding the bag. So some restraint, uh, some sense of deferred gratification, you don't have to get it all this month, this year, uh, I think is... That's that's all I was in. I, I I'm the old guy now, Jeremy, and so I want to be the voice of reason. And uh, things are doing great now, and so you have a tendency to just get it as quick as you can right now. But it most people have a budget, and uh, and they ought to make choices based on on that.
0: Well, you also in that in that discussion you had, and I'll I'll, I'll like encourage people to go listen to that episode. You also. You also talked about FOMO, and FOMO is something that is talked about in the hobby all the time. I think a lot of people, I don't want to say suffer from it, because I think it's natural, just human tendency to not want to miss out on something, uh, something that could benefit them in the future. But you you kind of redefined how you thought FOMO should be thought of in the hobby. Um, do you, uh, Can you discuss some of that with the audience, kind of let the audience know what you were thinking uh, when you were talking about that?
1: I think FOMO is uh, thought of too narrowly. Basically, the FOMO that everybody's worried about right now is that I'm going to miss out on buying something because I'm going to feel stupid that I didn't buy it now. But there's another kind of FOMO that could happen. And that is that the fear of missing out on a selling opportunity. That right now everybody's buying, everything's hot you know, a year from now, maybe not so much. And then you're going to be ticked off that you missed out on the opportunity to sell when everybody wanted to buy. And so there, there needs to be a healthy balance of fear on both sides. You know, that it's not, you just can't have this irrational exuberance that everything's always going to go up. Then the fear of missing out. Uh, like I said, I, I think the greater fear is the fear of being embarrassed. and And that would be, you know passing on something you absolutely should get or not selling when something is way overpriced and there there's some cards now that are overpriced still some that are underpriced but so some balance is what i'm preaching and i probably am preaching sorry <laughs>
0: no no please preach i think i think we want to hear you and you know i think a lot of us are up against that right now we see these values up there and it's like should i sell some of my cards to maybe lock in some gains or, or to just, uh, you know, kind of reduce my exposure to what may happen in the future. You know, I, I, a lot of people are bullish, but a lot of people have concerns about where the hobby's going in terms of the values of, the, of their, of their cards. So I, 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 I kind of you know, deal with that myself. You
1: no, know, but just for you to go down that path shows that you have a sense of balance. That's a protection. You're, you're not so so optimistic that you think that couldn't happen. And so that's all I'm asking people to do to be be thinking about that is a possibility, even though right now it looks like that's a slim possibility, but it is a possibility. And so you know there there are very few collectors that w- will never sell.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, it's tempting to talk about how I would approach it, but I don't want to focus on myself here tonight, so we're gonna we're gonna keep on going here. Uh, I want to mention to the audience guys, we, are on a, we have an hour with uh, Dr. Beckett tonight. We're going to have Jay Yokish on after hours coming up later. So I'm not going to be able to keep my eyes on the comments as much as I usually do. But I, I see all there. Thank you for joining. We're, we're, we're very pleased to have you. So, Jim, let's talk something else about 2021. Uh, the National. And, you know, number one, you know, will it happen? Uh, I think a lot of us are looking forward to it. And, you know, is it... What if they had to push it back a month or two months, depending on the pandemic and all that? What is it possible? Is it is it possible for the national to be moved to a different location, to a different city? What are some of the, the constraints on the nationals planning committee in terms of trying to ensure that we have this mecca for all of us to go to or those that can at some point in 2021?
1: Okay, so I'm a consultant. (laughs) I just think that Chicago is not universally, but but widely regarded as the best choice. And so there was some heartburn about Atlantic City anyway. Uh, So, you know, I'm thinking they want it to be in Chicago this summer. They'd love for it to be in this summer. In fact, there's a big Chicago show three weeks before the National at the same Rosemont facility. And so that—that's the thinking—is that it's going to happen to move it a couple months or six months, like the last time. Uh, that's a little bit. I, I think they're going to try really hard, and um, again, it just means that when you when you uh, read the news and you uh, hear the, the the networks, the fact that we're having more infections. At the same time, we're having more vaccines getting out there. Uh, we 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 really are going to make progress toward the herd immunity, uh, but it's going to be painful because not everybody wants to get the vaccine, but most people probably will. And uh, more and more people are getting are getting uh, affected, some seriously and some with mild cases. So I'm I'm hoping we have it. Uh, that that'd be really tough to miss two years.
0: Sure would be. I'm with you. I think a lot of us are. Okay, let's talk about um, CSG, the grading company who just recently uh, put out their pricing. I think it was I saw an email from them a day or two ago. This is a question from one of the one of the someone in the audience. Uh, Basically, they said, you know, their pricing seems low compared to PSA and BGS. Will this allow them to gain market share and perhaps perhaps become the number two grading company in the industry? That was a question posed by a gentleman by the name of Corey. What can you say to that, Doctor Beckett?
1: Well, there's. It's not a surprise that there'd be another entrant into a, a, a lucrative field that is that has huge backlogs. So I just find it interesting that that I had people that I knew that that I liked and liked me, but they never really chose BGS for grading. And they would always tell me, but yeah, the PSA graders are really good. They, they were the first ones. They've got a lot of experience. All of a sudden CSG hires Andy and Weston. And these guys are all stars, (laughs) you know, the, the same guys that, 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 that I always thought were really great. Uh, now everybody says, oh, those guys are great. And they are, they're going to do a great job. Um, but the the grading decision, first of all, you got to decide whether you want to grade. and then you got to decide what company you want to go to. and that could be different according to what cards you're dealing with. And then it's not just the price, and it's not just the turnaround. There's resale. there's some other customer service elements and and uh, business conditions and and the way things happen that that make it complicated. And so I think CSG is going to have an interesting, they've got an uphill battle because they're coming in fresh, but they do have the advantage of having other uh, grading infrastructure from other categories and a, and a couple of really good guys to start with. But, you know, BGS has a whole bunch of good guys already. So does SGC and uh, PSA apparently has hired more people you know, recently than are that are it than than what CSG already has, and so everybody's ramping up for it. And uh, I wish them well. I mean, I I, I hope uh, I hope they do a good job. I think the worst thing would be if they if again you just can't you can't win because if you're too tough that's bad, and if you're too lenient that's bad. If you're too cheap that might be bad because then you'll get overrun. If you're too expensive, then nobody comes to you, so it, they can't control it. All they can do is try to do a great job. And knowing Andy uh, better than Weston, th- those guys are gonna they're gonna try to do a really good job. You know, I knew Steve Eichenbaum a long time ago. I mean, they're 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 good people. They're go- they're gonna do the best they can.
0: Okay, well excited to see how it works out for them and what, uh, what the landscape of the grading options look like for us collectors, uh, you know, down the road as, as the next, as the, this year goes through, goes by and the one after that. And we, we sort of see how they, how they are able to wrangle some market share from, from the other companies for themselves. There's been, there's a question in the comments and a question I got, uh, when I, when I solicited some questions for you earlier, uh, yesterday, um, there's been some, let me just find the question here on my notes. Um, There's been some uh, controversy, if you will, or drama with some some of the some Beckett slabs, uh, some fake slabs that are apparently out there. And the question that we have in the comments reads, what measures would you take to curb the influx of Beckett slabs in the market at the moment? Um, You know, he says as as BGS is currently ignoring the situation and I can't verify that for sure. I don't know what these guys do behind closed doors, but. What, like, you know, it's damaging, it's upsetting, and and there's a lot of upset collectors out there. You know, if you were still at the helm, how would you be managing this um, crisis? Is a strong word, but I think it might be appropriate. A
1: couple of things, Jeremy. Number one, uh, not all the slabs that are purported to be counterfeit and bad are bad, some of them are legit. There, they, they, people want to have a false dichotomy that it's either good or it's bad. If they see anything that looks suspect, then they they think it's a conspiracy or there's some nefarious thing. But there are ways that cards can get a wrong, uh, you know, a wrong descriptor. You know that that things can be misplaced. There are slabs that can get cracked and then reslabbed. And, and something so, so there could be some things that are internal. So that's one point that all these ones that are supposedly uh, been counterfeited, I don't believe they're all counterfeited. Some of them have other explanations. Secondly, uh, you know, I've watched this and it's uh, Jeremy and, and the BGS leadership are are in a tough position because if they lay out uh, what the situation is, and, uh, what they're going to do, they're educating, uh, because I do think there are so, a few bad people out there. It's not all of them, but there's a few people that are trying to crack the code, uh, for Jeremy to be very descriptive about what they're going to do and how they know, uh, is, is bad business for him now. So he's walking a tightrope. He's got to project an air of confidence as well as, uh, you know, tighten up. And I think they are, but, uh, but to go on and say here are the steps we're taking to make sure, uh, then then the crooks just say, well, okay, we're we're going to do it a different way next time. I, I think the percentage of, of of mistakes is is very very small. Is very very small.
0: And do you think that uh, do you think that the management and, and you know you don't do you think that the management should make a statement to the, to the hobby sort of not necessarily letting the hobby know what, you know, here's what it here's, here's what a slab should look like if they do that. Yeah. They're going to maybe educate the, the, the bad, the bad actors and give them, you know, let, let them stay one step ahead of, of the slab itself. But is there something that Beckett could do to at least appease the collector base? Well, you know, we,
1: we've, you're supposed to. Are you buying the card or are you buying the holder? And if you are buying the, the holder, and ignoring what the card looks like, you know, I think Jeremy's statement as the VP of grading on authentication was was to uh, to beware, to to give it a close look, to not uh, to to use your eyeballs. And if something's too good to be true, uh, like I said, I think many of the ones that were pointed out. Or at least several were. I don't believe were were criminal. They were uh, mistakes or, like I say, replacement labels. Uh, people don't realize that if a, a label gets damaged, then you've got you have to go to a, another place, a different printer label printer to print a one-off label, and then you put that in the slab. And so there there can be duplicate labels that are not. From, you know, there's no mystery to it if you understand the process. But why would Jeremy want to explain our process when we, there's, there's two major competitors and a third on the horizon? And all of them are facing these same things yeah. of, of replicating the slab as well as replicating the label. And what Jeremy said was, look at the card look carefully at the card. And that's what people ought to do that regardless, whether it's PSA, SGC. I mean, again, everybody's had this look at the card.
0: Yeah. Because I think the thing with these fake slabs or these alleged fake slabs is not that the card within it is inauthentic or counterfeit or, or, or altered. It's that it's just a lower graded card that got slipped into a, a slab with a higher grade point. So, um, very good advice, and you know I guess that that his statement to buy wisely or beware, however he put it is actually you know it, it is it, it is the advice that you need to follow so
1: and it's not enough for for many people, especially if somebody got burned, and I understand that and uh, but all of these uh, well the the fourth or fifth thing when I was mentioning csG is that um, the guarantee the implicit or explicit guarantee. That each grading company has, there are differences in the way each company treats it, and so CSG, being the latest entrant, has a chance to look at the playing field and say, you know, and they they've said here are all the things we're going to do, and I thought, wow, that sounds really impressive. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's the same stuff PGS is already doing, and I think PSA is already doing it too, and SGC, but they've they're they're marketing it, and and uh, and like I said, I think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna help get the grading back into reasonable turnarounds, you know, and it's going to be at the expense of, of all the companies because they're, they're going to get some business.
0: Yeah. Okay. Next question. And maybe the last one that has to do with uh, Beckett grading services back in the day when you started, this question came from uh, Gary Fruitman wanted to know, like at the beginning of time at Becca grading, any cards that were, you know, sheet cut, not pack pulled, let's say, were, were slabbed along with the pack pulled cards. The question is, do you think that it should, in, in hindsight now, would it have been better to go the other way and maybe label these cards, like distinguish them on the label as something other than what you kind of expect the card to be with being sort of pack pulled? Should there have been, should there have been a distinguishing um indication on the on the on the the flip or the label that this card was not pack pulled.
1: Well we, we discussed this another time. I really think it's it's pack pulled it, it it's does it look pack pulled? We're talking about you know decades later. And so was it cut with the same professional cutting technique? If it was, then whether it was cut originally or Or uh, decades later, it was the same cutting technique and professionally cut. The problem is when there's a mismatch, it was a different technology uh, or some of these hand cut things, uh, you know, are problematic. And so I'm uh, I mean, all cards pretty much came from a sheet. And if they're professionally cut in the same manner as they originally cut, I I, I think it's an undetectable difference. You know, you're, you know, our, you know, the best example is the OPC. and OPG, you know, had a different cutting technique. And if you were to get, get, create your own uh, guillotine wire cutting thing, I I mean, you'd have to go to a, a used uh, factory equipment store to find, find uh, an archaic cutting machine, because I can't imagine they would do that anymore. And who would do that? So. So, yeah, I th- I think that's played. And what- what's happened, Jeremy, is that, again, uh, we're not going to be on grading the whole time, but it's another differentiator of the grading companies in the yeah. way they treat it. Star Company, same thing. BGS, I think, is maybe the only one that grades Star Company because they feel they have a confidence with their sources to determine uh, whether it's whether they're legit, where they're original production, star company basketball mainly, and so, but the other companies don't, and so again, that's another differentiator. And CSG, all, all of them have a choice to how they treat these cutting issues and uh, you know authenticity and going back to press rumors, uh, you know, as a point of differentiation.
0: Okay. Thanks for addressing that. Let's go on to something lighter. Uh, Lee Groninger in the chat has this question: uh, What would be Dr. Beckett's top three young athletes that you are intrigued by, regardless of sport?
1: Oh boy! Well, it, it's probably Luca, Luca, Luca. I mean, I, I live in Dallas. I mean, that's. Um, I, I think Luca is uh, is amazing because he's he's not doing it as being stronger or bigger or faster than the other guys. So, again, that actually bodes well for his future because he's not doing it based on uh, being in the peak condition. Uh, you know, he's he's doing it with guile. So uh, the other guy I'm really impressed with is Patrick Mahomes.
0: That's pretty funny because Lee, the same gentleman, put this up earlier. He said, "What are your thoughts on Luca and Patrick Mahomes specifically?"
1: Uh, well, I, well uh, Patrick, uh, I think is uh, is uh, uh, a, a brilliant quarterback and thrower. You know, he's got the arm, and apparently, he's got uh, kind of an improv aspect. The, what What I've realized if you're too smart uh, to you know, high IQ, heavily analytical in the moment, you can't be a good quarterback because you've got to do your reads really quickly and then you've got to execute. And apparently he's got that best of both worlds with a quick release from different, uh, you know, throwing points with amazing accuracy. (laughs) Seem like he doesn't even look. And so I think he's an exceptional talent. He's an exceptional talent.
0: Are you buying these guys cards?
1: No, no. I, I don't buy any guy's cards. I buy I buy whatever I see that I think is interesting, and I generally stay away from things that people that everybody else is chasing. And they're they uh, uh, yeah. Well, that th- those would be my two main ones. I yeah. I, I'm trying to think of. I I don't necessarily have a a hockey guy at this time. I don't think nobody the in the guy,
0: nobody on the Dallas Stars, Miro Heiskinen, that young yeah, yeah. defenseman.
1: Yeah, I mean I, that that was they. They had a great run this last year, but no, probably. You know, I my sweet spot is probably the the guys that are that are, uh, you know, more not not old vintage necessarily, but you know, vintage of people that I saw play.
0: Yeah. No, fair. Fair enough. Okay. Next question. This one came from uh, from your friend of mine, Adam Gray. He wants to know, how do you feel about content, hobby content that is driven by the financial side of the hobby? And uh, what responsibility do content creators have to not mislead their audience?
1: Well, that's an amazing question from an amazing guy. I mean, basically, he's setting the bar so high with, with his uh, uh, basketball card fanatic uh, monthly e magazine uh and even though he says it's it's about collecting and not about the money he has a, a a very nice way of weaving in the values but also talking about the collectability the art i think i think what he's doing is is uh, really excellent and i hope uh people will adopt that and again say I, if i were th- 40 years younger, I would, I would do something like that, but I did and I'm done. Um, Now I want to be an encouragement to other people. Where's the person that wants to do football card fanatic and soccer card fanatic and baseball card fanatic and hockey card fanatic, Jeremy. So, uh, but I think what people will find, just like I found 40 years ago, is it's a lot of work and Adam has found it out, but you know, kudos to Adam. I think it's great again an excellent blend of the art of the cards, the collectability, the scarcity of the cards and the value.
0: So what about the responsibility? There there are, there are several content creators out there who, you know, just kind of let you know what cards are hot that week. And uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that style of content? And, and again, back to the responsibility of content creators that have followings and have influence what can you, what, how how, what, how would you advise every the content creators and their audiences?
1: I don't think I'm going to answer this the way you think I'm going to answer it because you and I are probably on the same page about that. But my, my interesting twist of my answer is that I am surprised that there aren't more of these content creators that are going in that direction because it's what people want to hear. So again, it all goes back to the discernment when you're if when there's a lot of choices, do you want to just pick the loudest person or the person that does the most marketing? Or are you gonna sample and test and evaluate and sift and figure out, you know, which which of these content creators? I mean, you just have to you have to do your homework. But like I said, I'm surprised with as hot as the hobby is, there aren't more that are going that direction because it sells. Because right now everything is hot, and so you know why wouldn't you tout something going up when everything's going up? You you almost can't be wrong. So I'm shocked that there aren't more. Uh, but again, first, as soon as there's a downturn, then we're there. We're going to see. We're going to see who, who, uh, you know, when you're when you're leading people, uh, and you wind up leading them off a cliff. You know, if it's a steep cliff. You know, it's a one thing if it's just a gentle decline, <laughs> but if it's a steep cliff. Uh, so, again, just take it with a grain of salt. It, most people, most dealers want to promote what they have for sale. You know, when you walk into the store, the dealer doesn't start talking about at the LCS all the great product that that he sold out of. He right. talks about what's on the shelf. And, hey, I think this would be worth consideration. And it's up to you uh, in consultation with your show, other shows that uh, give somebody some balance in the fact that there's lots of alternatives in this industry. So, yeah, I'm surprised they're not more. And, Similar. and again, it's, a, it's a measure. Again, just this is counterintuitive. It's the measure of a of a very healthy hobby that we have a lot of that going if if people weren't doing that, it's because the it would be because the hobby was not very exciting.
0: It's almost I, like like when you say, you know, when you go buy a card, are you buying the card or are you buying the slab? When you're when you're choosing your content, you know, you have to you have to be discerning when you're choosing what content you're you're and take it with a grain of salt. So well said, appreciate that. Let's uh here's a question from another common friend of ours, Sean Rob. He wants to know could we see a dedicated sports card show on cable television in the near future?
1: What goes around comes around. Why not? I mean, I'm, I think there's going to be all kinds of things happening and I, I that wouldn't shock me at all. It wouldn't shock me at all.
0: And any, any kind of thoughts on how that might look or what it could, you know, is do you, would you see, would you see something on an ESPN or on like the, the, um, the channels like where Pawn Stars or and American Pickers show up. Do you what would what would you what would you like to see if, if if you could if you could if you were deciding what would you like to see?
1: Jeremy, I mean, I, I think it's uh, the goal would be to be omnipresent. You know, it's not to pick one place. I mean, it's it's like the movies now. You you want to watch a movie, you know, you can get the movie the same time streamed as, as going to theater. So, so where you get something, it, to me, it's more about the content. If that content is created and it's appealing and what you're talking about is something that could have a, um, some celebrity involvement that would draw lots of eyeballs. Um, You know, as long as the people are knowledgeable and are not steering people in the wrong direction, I think it could be, it could be terrific. And, but why limit it to, just ESPN, you know, or, or, or some other venue, you know, I, I think it, I think it ought to be out there available to everybody. And uh, again, most content now is free. I mean, you've talked about some of your affiliates, I've got some sponsors, but it's, you know, a, a lot of this content creation is done by passionate people who, who really want to do it. Some of the things you're talking about are business thrusts where they're expecting to make money but you can't really make money in this hobby easily selling your content. You can get sponsors for the eyeballs and the ears that you have. And so if if a large media company did something and they had not thousands of listeners and viewers, but hundreds of thousands or a million, then now you're talking about some serious, serious ad dollars. And so when it's ad driven, then maximize the maximize the audience. And again, that's really good for us cuz some of them are going to say, "You know what? I'm looking for a sports card live type show." Oh wait, there's a, car, a show called Sports Cards Live and it's uh, gets great reviews and it's a lot of fun or somebody says I've got a daily commute and it's 13 minutes and 30 seconds, which is my average episode. So, you know, that's it's they're, they're going to figure it out. And so a greater megaphone for our industry, I'm all for it.
0: Good segue into a question we had from Tim Satropa. He says, what are your go-to podcasts?
1: Uh, I do Sports Card Nation. I do, uh, I do, yeah, I I think the, um, you know, Chris and Josh, I, I think, I do more podcasts than I do YouTube, and so when they, when I'm subscribing and they get pushed to me, uh, it's easier for me. Like yours, I'll get yours. I get to do Hobby Hotline. Uh, I do Drews. Let me get that. Pod, let me get that potograph. Uh, Wax Museum, Wax Pack Hero, like those guys. Uh, I've done Mojo Break, but I'm not really a breaker. I've done. I'm just trying to do this by memory. Uh, go GTS. You know, I like those guys. So I just, I just go around at these. Uh, again, I, I, I want to be eclectic. I, I don't. I, I think it's gotten to the point where I can't listen to every episode of every one, even if I go one and a half or double speed. It's just there's too much content out there.
0: There's so much good stuff out there, and it's good. it's good. It's good. I only recently discovered 1.5 speed or 1.75, even two speed. So uh, uh, that's. And
1: you can uh, do that with uh, videos too.
0: Yeah. It, it's yeah. open. It, it, it's allowed me to consume more, which I'm happy about. Uh, question from Paul Cashman. What do you have any Holy Grails that you're still actively pursuing?
1: I would say no. I would say no. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to do a show about regrets, but um, I just think of all the grail cards that I could have had at, way less. And so now I'm I'm on the decline. I mean, I think my goal is to have uh, 10% less cards each year. So I, I've gone from, a, I mean, I'd like to think I have quality and quantity, and I'm trying to keep the quality, but have less quantity uh, over these next uh, this next decade or so. So if I see something that's interesting that I can put on my wall, but I don't want to put Ultra expensive stuff on my wall. I just I, that's that's not. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't I don't I don't want to. Yeah, I just I just want to have fun with it, and it's more fun to just be in a more moderate priced uh, window.
0: Okay, fair answer, fair answer. Whatever, whatever works for you, of course. Um, okay, I was just foul fireball said I like this. What about a sports card TV network? Well, we almost have that just with YouTube itself. There's so I think a lot of the creators are just on YouTube, uh, but but that's a cool thing to think about foul five ball. Um, Yamwax has a, I, I think this is a neat question. Uh, Jimmy says, what is one, what are one of the little things you enjoy about the hobby? A simple pleasure that endures. And he goes on to provide some examples, slabs clinking together, flipping through bulk boxes, peeling blue tape off, blue tape off a top loader. And I, I like this question because it really comes down to how do you hobby and, and what do you really enjoy when it's you and your cards?
1: Okay. Just leave that up there so I can respond to those three. Number one slabs clinking together. Absolutely not. That's bad. In fact, now I'm questioning and I'm being a little bit facetious here, the decision to make the BGS slabs so substantial because they're heavy. They yeah. clink, they, they do kind of lock together, but if I have a box of BGS cards, that's heavy. So so not the slabs clinking together, uh, the peeling the blue tape off of a, off a top loader or scotch tape or any other kind of tape. That is a big pain. It's not good. In fact, even taking uh, cards out of top loaders is, you know, messes with your cuticles. Oh, I have to put gloves on. stuff like that. I know. So it's door number two flipping through bulk boxes. I mean, I, I do that a lot. Uh, I have my own that are pretty well organized, uh, but I'm, I find nuggets in there. I went through some stuff today and uh, you know found, found some good cards that are just buried in there. And when I go to a show, you go through a dollar box. I'm seeing cards that I, in some – it's hard to say you've seen every card that exists. I've seen a lot of cards, but to see something I hadn't exist that, that I hadn't seen before – that is that is a buck you know i don't have to worry about you know you know taking out a loan to buy it and so I make a little stack and have some fun and rich klein will be you know you know uh, you know six feet away uh doing his thing same thing and we're kibitzing back and forth and uh talking about the players and the sets that's a lot of fun for me that's that's probably my so yam wax thanks for the question that's and so i'm missing that i do my own stuff but i'm i'm also missing not being at the show where i could look at other people's cards
0: yeah and you just mentioned it. that for me that the, was one of the this and maybe it's not a small thing but it's being at the shows and rubbing shoulders with like-minded collectors i cannot wait to get back to doing that uh here's a question from daniel and uh this is a great question. I don't know if you have any in, any insight into this, uh, Jim, but is there communication between grading companies when a card is crossed over so they can adjust population reports?
1: Uh, you and I talked about that. I, I'm I'm doubting that, well I, whatever communication there is between grading companies, it ought to be more. It ought to be better. And it's my great hope that when Nat Turner, who'd been a a, a serious customer of BGS, is at uh, at the helm of PSA, there'll be more communication with Andy Broom uh, heading up things at CSG, that there'd be a uh, good communication going that way. And the, the SGC guys as well. I mean, I really think it's, I mean, you and I were on a roll about that. I think we're again, in agreement that, that uh, we want everybody that comes into this industry to have a good experience. And that's one of, that's one of the negative experiences you can have if you've, if you kind of get a bad deal in the grading, Uh, you know, and again, there's, there's also problems. I mean, I heard about something that, you know, somebody was crossing something over and, and and I'm not going to say which company, but you know, it came back uh, not authentic, even though it had been slabbed and cracked out of the slab. And now uh, that person has a card that is uh, gone from worth a lot to worth, maybe nothing. Yeah. So crossing over is not without risk. If you, if you crack first.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Here's a, here's a couple, there's a, I had a question that came in, um, pre pre pre-show Jim, and there's a couple questions and comments that are somewhat related. So I'm going to present all three of them to you. Uh, the, the, the one that came in was, um, this was, I don't, didn't know who, who wrote the question, but he wants to know, did Beckett come out originally, the magazine, to compete against Tough Stuff or was it the other way around? In either case, what was it like competing in the price guide space early on? And then the, the question here from Card Canuck says, in the late 80s, what did you see in hockey cards that just inspired you to make a Beckett magazine about them? And there's another one, but let's just start with those two uh, before we get ahead of ourselves.
1: Well, just like the grading, I don't think we said, "Okay, here's PSA. How can we copy what they're doing?" You know, when when the price guide, the the annual price guide that came out first, was I mean, nobody really had done that. It was it was pricing every card and every set, and then the magazine came out. There already was uh, a monthly, you know, uh, CPU CCP, the uh, East Coast Long Island uh, publications that were newsprint. Uh, that that had a lot of action back in the early 80s. And again, our goal was not to be like them, except that we were going to do a monthly price guide. So uh, but we already had the data, Uh, actually had a lawsuit with them because they were taking our data, uh, which which we which we won. But You know, it just was fresh thinking, fresh thinking. And we we really the the big decision that I didn't that I probably underestimated was I really wanted uh, the card collecting hobby to be elevated. And so it wasn't just the price guy. We tried to wrap a magazine around it to something that people could be proud of. They say, hey, this is if, if you're leaving it out, you don't have to hide it from your friends. You could leave it out and somebody could say, hey, that's interesting. Uh, interesting articles. Gee, there's a lot of prices going up, some going down. But um, so, yeah, I think it was more fresh thinking. And that's 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 my entrepreneurial consulting is that I think people uh, need to be more experimenting and trying things that that are different and fresh.
0: I agree. I agree. Throw some darts, see what sticks here and there, as long as they're calculated risks. Can you confirm or deny this comment from Cards, Guns, and Collectibles? He says, Wayne Gretzky went to the LA Kings. That's why they started back at Hockey.
1: No, but my parents had uh, a fractional season ticket to the Kings that was, uh, that was before Gretzky was there, and it was about 20 rows up uh, behind the goal. And so it was so spectacular. So I became a great son to visit my parents. Yeah. My brother was there too. Uh, and so when they'd have the tickets, I would try to try to be there because just watching the watching the 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 artistry, the the you know, the you could see the plays unfold. And again, Gretzky's going where the puck is going to be. And, and camping out behind the, behind the net and all that stuff. So I really, but no, that's not why we started back at hockey. But it probably was a catalyst in the sense that it made uh, hockey, that was a giant step toward making hockey uh, a more fully North American game. Actually, because uh, it always was Canada and North, Northern America. <laughs> yeah but it 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 then became southern america you know sure did. At, at the the stars later the the uh, you know the, the the kings and and uh, so that's 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 broadened hockey's reach and so it made a lot of sense but hockey was just in uh, i mean no offense but it was it was the fourth one yeah uh, and it wasn't a distant fourth cuz i like i said a, a huge uh passionate following for hockey and hockey did very well right from the get-go but it wasn't just in Canada we had we had strong people wanted it people knew that hockey was taken off too and so we had a lot of uh uh, interest from from uh from American dealers and a lot of Europe a lot of Scandinavian so we we had uh, our hockey magazine did great right from the get-go
0: well, it, uh, so cards, guns, and collectibles is laughing and uh, says like, "You got me good on that one." Well, but you know, cards, guns, and collectibles wasn't maybe completely wrong in that statement because, like you said, it could have been a catalyst, and uh, it, it's tough to maybe make a direct correlation. But I think there might be an indirect one there. So, so you know, fa- well, I mean, fair it's the
1: best thing that happened. I mean, it was it was amazing. I mean, I don't, I'm not conspiratorial, but I mean that that uh, I mean Gretzky was a national treasure. I mean, how do you? How, how do, if I'm the commissioner, do I do I even let that happen? Yeah. I mean, if I were a heavy-handed commissioner, uh, but again, it broadened it broadened uh, the market for hockey.
0: It sure did. I, I remember the day it happened. I and I was a Winnipeg Jets fan. The the Oilers beat us constantly, and I cried. I was I shed tears. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, yes, he was a national treasure, and uh, you know he still is for sure uh, here in Canada. I just want to bring this comment up to uh, not that one. Tiger Jordan says, I love getting the original Beckett price guides in the mail, simple and clean cover and back that was pure art. Yeah, those were those were some good old days for sure. It's nice to reminisce. Um, question just came in. Here's an interesting one from Bobby Burrell, a hobby historian says, hi, Jim, when you when did you first see or notice the rookie card designation being represented within price guides in the hobby?
1: I think the... You mean like putting an RC? I,
0: I think mean, that's what he's yeah, getting at. Yeah,
1: I think immediately. I mean, I, I think it, what we didn't do—the uh, the, the point of distinction might be that in the annual price guides, uh, all those years un- until recently, uh, RC designations were not put in the annual books because they had so many other sets that were not that were not mainstream. Uh, But the magazines, I think right from the get go, there was an RC because that was a good part. That was a good uh, that was a a key part of the indication of why something would go up. The rookie cards were the first things that that moved, not the only things, but the first things that moved. So, yeah, it was. And again, you get into the XRC challenge because the we, we would publish our our definitions of what makes a rookie card as Victor Roman is looked at uh, exhaustively. Uh, That was tricky. And we'd we'd say, here's how we're going to do it. And like I said before, as soon as you lay out, then the card company said, well, if, if that's the rule, then we can, we can sneak it in this way. And so then we did some XRCs. Nobody liked that, but it was the only way to try to try to split the baby a little bit.
0: Yeah, designated as such. Fair. And a shout out to Victor Roman, who is uh, taking it upon himself to kind of define rookie card on his YouTube channel, All Time Greats blog. So feel free to check that out, everybody. Okay, here's a question I got from a friend of mine, Tim. He says, with the hobby's growth and to avoid youth and newcomers from being priced out of unique cards, what will it take for the leagues to license additional brands?
1: well that they they already are oh well no here's the problem the problem is is the leagues are have a, a single manufacturer and they've allowed those manufacturers to have a number of releases and so if you were a manufacturer would you want to le- would you want to do a release that is going to be at a low price point that doesn't doesn't make very much money may not even make any money uh, when you've, you've got to, you've got to make your guarantee. So, um, if they were to give them a pass or to cut them some slack, I'd love to see that. Cause I think that's, again, it's, it's actually not just promoting the cards, it's promoting the sport. So hockey, football, basketball, baseball, all of them, I, I would hope that they would give their key license, uh, licensing partner, uh, some slack to do, some sets that appeal. But again, it's a, it's a misnomer, Jeremy. I mean, there've always been cards. There's always been stuff that people have been priced out of the, the when I first got in the industry, you know, the 50 years ago, I couldn't afford certain things. There are very few people that are going to afford anything. Now the problem is if kids can't af- can't afford anything, but again, I, I, I think I did an episode about this, that if a kid went to a show it's it's really hard to buy a box. There are very few boxes that a kid can buy without going into uh, you know cracking a hundred dollar bill or something, or, or needing multiple. Uh, but that doesn't mean they can't go to the dollar box, quarter box, dime box, whatever, and and hunt. It, it feels like a you know poor man's pickings, but there may be some. There's a learning experience there. And so I, I think if you went to a card show or an LCS, there's going to be something that you could that you could find there. It just isn't what you want. And even if they have these cheaper products, Jeremy, it's not what the kids will want. They're gonna they're, they're gonna want what the big kids want. They're gonna want what their dads want. I was watching uh, Brody the kid, and and he's getting something with his dad, and uh, and they they got a big hit. But you know, it's a two hundred dollar box. I don't know that that many. 12 and a half year olds have two hundred bucks to pop on a box. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they can't have fun with the with with the industry. But they just can't pursue it in that way, and they may have to work up to it. And again, it's, I mean, there's so many in, uh, successful business guys now in our industry that have really hit it big, that are back in the hobby with a vengeance, and they learned about business and P and L and how to how to market you know, from baseball cards 25 years ago. And now they're mid-career and uh, using what they learned in their their main career. And this side gig is tons of fun for them. But it's because they couldn't get stuff when they were a kid that they wanted, that they purposed that if I ever get enough money, I'm going to go get those cards I couldn't afford. And maybe that'll be happening for the kids of today.
0: Yeah. Okay. Amit says, uh, I'm amazed how many of these kids have bank and are very knowledgeable and know exactly what they want. I wish I was that smart. And then Rich Rich says, I know a lot of adults who don't have $200 for a box, which is for sure. It, it, the hobby is, it's, it, it's expensive for everybody, for sure. Um, I want to come back to a question we had over right here from Hockey Hockey. He says, do you see a time when there is a sports card ETF that can be used towards an RRSP or TFSA? Those are for anyone out there that doesn't know. That's like 401ks and Roth IRAs up in Canada. Do you see that time coming?
1: Uh, the, uh, it, it's already here, uh, except that the problem is the, some of those things are really hard to regulate and to have assurances. What what The first step toward that is this fractional ownership. Where you know you have a specific card and you know exactly what you have. Uh, if uh, if an ETF is more of a of a market basket, then the question is: Is it are, are they all cards that are being held? Is there any fungibility of of I've got this one? You know, we you and I both talked about the fact that all nines are not created equal. And I'm going to talk about different grading companies within the same grading company. All nines are not equal, and so. Um, so that the more complicated financial vehicles, uh, to, to have fractional ownership in a collection that is, that is, uh, that is diversified, uh, that's, to me, that's a little bit trickier. So I think they're, they're walking before they're running, but I could certainly see that happening. Um, although when you get into these, the, the, the flexible, whatever the, um, you know, like the, the IRAs and things like that, there's regulations. It has to be a category of something. And we may not be there, but but for people to uh, pool their money together, I mean, this has happened since, you know, 45 years ago. I went in with 11 other guys on a buying trip, and we bought every collection we could find in that metropolitan area from taking out these big full-page ads, and then we divvied it up and walked away. If we hadn't divvied it up and walked away separately and had tried to sell it gradually together, you know, that's, that would have been more difficult, but you know, it's moving with prices, be, with things being so lucrative, you know, it, it, it begs for that to be done. I think it'll be done.
0: Okay. There was another question related to that earlier on from Lee Lee. I uh, will just leave it at that though. Um, Okay, well, listen, we are coming up on the one hour mark, and I committed to uh, respecting that for you so that we can make sure that you're not going to turn us down again in the future to come back on the show. So I'll just take a second and uh, let everybody know uh, we will be back in half an hour uh, on After Hours, same YouTube channel with Lee Jokish, uh, a a super collector of mega patch cards. It's going to be a lot of fun. He's got some cool stuff to show. We're going to get into a collector's mind. So please come back and watch that with us half an hour from now. Jim, thank you as always for joining. This is your third time on the show. We'll we'll try and get you to six or seven by the end of 2021. Hopefully, have you back uh, again for sure. But uh, any final comments, words of wisdom, advice, or or, or uh, you know from 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 the advisor uh, perspective, even.
1: It's a it's a it's a great time to be a collector, and you know just you, you're a great example of somebody that. Uh, saw an opportunity, jumped into it with both feet, and you're having a lot of fun. I hope it's been profitable for you, but what a great time to be a collector. And uh, people need to be cautious about the the whole COVID thing, but uh, but for that, uh, on balance, uh, and except for that, uh, very exciting times to be a collector.
0: Certainly is. Well, thanks for those parting words. Uh, again, everybody back in half an hour with Jay Yokish. We'll have Dr. Beckett on again in the future. And um, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to the channel, hit the like, thumbs up, all that stuff. Greatly appreciate it. And um, again, that's it for that's it for tonight. It's uh, I'm, Jim, I got to tell you, you're making me enjoy these one hour uh, episodes more so than the usual two hour episodes. But um, so well, we'll see how, how the future, what the future brings, but lots-
1: from 13 minutes to, to 59 minutes. So it's, it's, it's been fun, Jeremy, you do a great job. Thank you.
0: Thank, thank you, Jim. Uh, let you can, you can uh, hang on one second, everybody. Lots of great episodes still scheduled. So I'm going to end this one. We'll be back in, in just under half an hour again with Jay. So come on back and thanks everybody for, uh, for joining tonight. See you later.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.